The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Welcome to another episode of Wookie Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, and myself, Mike. And also joining us on the line, uh, author of many visual dictionaries, other Star Wars books with information that us Star Wars fans just love to have. He is the modern-day Indiana Jones, or the modern-day male version of Dr. Afro, however you want to put it. Uh, it is author Adam Bray. How's it going tonight, everyone? Hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So let's let's talk a little bit about your most recent book. Uh, it came out last fall, uh, Ultimate Star Wars. That's correct, yep. So given a, a project like Ultimate Star Wars, how do you get into what you're going to put in the books? Is it something that Lucasfilm guides you, or is it something you pitch to them? It is something that um, the publisher works out with Lucasfilm. Actually, usually they they work it out before they come to me. Um, then sometimes they'll have me give my input, input in case they I think they've forgotten something. Um, but, but within that discussion, I think a lot of it probably comes from um, this, whoever the story group guy is that's assigned um, to overseeing the book the book's progress and so they work all that out um but then it's my job to um actually fill in all the text to come up with all the, the content okay <clears throat> so i want to hit a because it kind of could go in here uh a question that we got on twitter uh it was from nate dan he goes what's the one piece of obscure star wars lore you think every star wars fan should know hmm. Ah, yeah, good old Nate. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. There's, there's so much uh, lore to know, um, but I'm a, I'm a retro vintage guy, so um, uh, I'd go back to um, you know the original trilogy and to A New Hope. Um, you know, I'm also a travel writer, so uh, I really I'm really interested in the filming locations and all those um, Tatooine mm. spots. Um, so I, I I find it amusing. Um, well, that all those places you know where with the, like the Lars Homestead and Moss Espa and uh, Obi-Wan's um, Obi-Wan's uh, cottage or, or uh, hovel. Um, those are all real places. That, those were real I wouldn't say pets, but th those were real real, real buildings, you know, out in the desert in Tunisia. And 
I I always thought it was funny that um, uh, Obi One's house in particular um, became a, a hen house, a chicken coop um, okay. after it was left. Um, and uh, you know, people have gone since and you know found it back and found you know found the original doors and you know bits of the Moss Isley Cantina, you know, and that those are just used for sheds and outbuildings and. You know, part, bits and pieces for people's houses and stuff. So you you can still go there and see see those things there. But I always thought it was funny that that Obi Wan's house was a chicken coop. Well, I, I've heard I've heard recently it, it's now being used as a storage shack for fishing gear. Is it? Yeah, it, it's it's uh, utilization probably evolves over time. <laughs> well, the amusing part of that is Obi Wan's hut being used as a hen house, and Rancho Obi Wan started as a hen house. <laughs> it's Rancho Obi Wan was originally a chicken ranch. <laughs> Interesting. So have have you actually been to all of these places, or are you still want to go? Um, I have not been uh, to any Star Wars uh, filming locations that I can think of. Um, but I'm hoping to remedy that uh, in the not so distant future. I've gotten in touch with someone that um, I'm hoping can kind of hook me up in that endeavor because. You know, I I used to live over in Southeast Asia, you know, so I've been um, where Laura Croft, Tomb Raider was filmed, you know, those Cambodian temples. Um, And and a lot of movies, you know, have been filmed over there in the tropics. So I, Mm. you know, in my in my free time, I used to explore, you know, temple ruins off in the jungle, kind of Indiana Jones style. So I really love visiting these these remote kind of adventurous places. So. I definitely want to get over to these things. So, Sounds like some of those would probably make some interesting locations for Star Wars, too. <laughs> and I've been trying to catch the ear of um, some of the directors and producers and see if mm. I can suggest some, some places over there. Because um, Vietnam, or really all of Southeast Asia, it's it's like their continent, you know, in countries the size of Rhode Island. It's amazing how much um, diversity wow. there is over there. So it would be an ideal spot uh, for filming, you know, filming locations. And mm. and there, Vietnam especially is is opening up uh, more and more. So I hope we see more movies out of there. Yeah, that'd be it, great. I don't, it wouldn't be the first time they've used ancient temples like that because um, he did what Central America for Episode Four, wasn't he? Um, where was it? The Mayan temples or something he used for um, Yavin? I thought it right. Was, yeah, yeah, done in South yeah, America. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's like that stuff would fit right into Star Wars. Then it's like we've seen similar buildings before already. Yeah. Yeah, it really would, and uh, there's there's quite a lot of variety too um, in, in you know in Southeast Asia because you've got uh, many different cultures and many different religions converging you know you've got the the um, Hindu and the Buddhist and you've got several types of evolution and architect architecture types um, and you've got you know the Chinese and the Indonesian and the Cambodian influences and they're all different so you get all different kinds of buildings so there's tremendous amount of variety there what type of setting for Star Wars would you want to see done in um, in Asia? Um, well, I don't know. There's uh, there's so much to pick from. Um, so it would be you know it'd be you know natural environments and ruins. But you've got you've got everything from um, you know the the obvious the tropical jungles. But you've got. Um, You've got uh, you've actually got deserts. The province where I lived looked more like um, Southern California and New Mexico. Most people wouldn't believe it, but it's like sand dunes and uh, rocky mountains. Um, but you know, you've got uh, great waterfalls and rivers and lakes and uh, seas oh, yeah. and mountains and valleys, and it's got the whole thing. So yeah, there's lots to choose from. Um, I think you know, you know, and indoor. I've I've always wanted to go back and see more of the Ewoks. I was glad we got um, you know a glimpse of them at, in um, the Rise of Skywalker. But I'd like to see a little more. I think you know we could do a 
uh, kids, you know, uh, a la the Ewok adventures in the 1980s, you know, um, Disney Plus would be a great place to have a, an Ewok series, you know, for kids of today. Yeah. And Endor is a big planet, you know. It doesn't, it, you know, there are temperate forests in Southeast Asia too. That's that's the thing. You've got forests that look just like Endor, um, with pine trees and stuff. Um, but uh, you know, there's Endor is a big planet. It could have tropics too. So, well, if we ever get the uh, Star Wars Underground project off the ground, uh, Ganja Club could be over. And, you know, since a lot of them are uh, famous in Asia, famous uh, kung fu stars. Right. Uh, yeah. May, maybe we see, maybe we see that. I think. I, yeah. I I think some of those guys are um, in Indonesian or Malaysian, aren't they? So I think so. Yeah. Great. Great to get uh, get their cast. Yeah. So maybe we could see where where the Ganja Club um, hang out and, and kind of give that. Uh, now that would be kind of give that Genghis Khan type vibe or a Star Wars version of it. Um, so what, yeah. with with Ultimate Star Wars, what was one of the, your favorite sections to, to research uh, for the book? Right. Um, well, with Ultimate Star Wars, um, this was the second edition. So um, the, the first edition, we kind of split it four ways. Um, the second edition was, uh, I think I did all the updates by myself. Um, so I was, gosh, it was a lot. I was adding... Um, um, well, really, the uh, Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, um, Solo, uh, Rogue One, uh, two or three seasons of uh, Rebels, um, oh, wow. and uh, a season or so of Resistance, um, and then supplementing with um, the Marvel Comics material and the various novels and the Forces of Destiny. So it was a lot of material. I think it ended up being a lot more... Um, work than i i realized it was going to be at the outset i was i was gonna um, ask you that it's so it seems like a lot of effort there yeah it, it was and um they uh they kind of they packed it in the uh the the new new sections actually have more content page than the original because <laughs> they uh <laughs> The thing about publishing is there's, um, you know, know, books tend to come in the same sizes. Um, You know, there's certain, it's just a cost, you know, a cost profit margin thing, you know, and so often the, the pages are limited to a certain certain count, but so there's there's ways you can stretch that, kind of like, you know, we did in college where we'd play with the uh, the font size yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> with our term papers so that either if you wrote too much, you know, you can squeeze it in, or if you didn't write enough, you, you know, you make the text bigger. Um, well, that's what you do in, in publishing if um, you want to get more or less, you, you just change the font sizes so there's actually more um per page than there was in the first edition so it really comes down to you know which which movies and which series i like the best um and i like uh, of the new movies i prefer uh rogue one and uh solo uh to the trilogy um so i enjoy those movies um of course i love rebels you know i wrote Right. the guides to the show so I was happy to revisit those characters so kind of those part of it so would that be because of what you were saying earlier that you know having the love for the original trilogy that lends you leaning more towards solo and and rogue one because it's more original trilogy type material yeah i think so um i i like to think of uh rogue one as kind of you know george lucas's seventh movie you know because it's so it fits so well with um at least his vision of the the original trilogy um and solo solo's you know just a fun movie um and it you know it it kind of fits in there between the prequels and and the originals so yeah i you know i i i just love all that stuff (laughs) 
So with Solo, with all the research you did for Solo to add it uh, to the new edition, uh, did you find that there was something you wish they added to the movie that they didn't? Or or did you find that there was something that was in the movie you wish wasn't? Right. Um, Well, one of the interesting things um, I found with Solo is... um, some of the characters associated with it, the background characters, um, had quite a bit of backstory that's been developed in uh, the Marvel comics. Um, I hadn't had time uh, to read them, uh, read the related articles um, before I got to writing the book. So I kind of found out in my research that several of the mercenaries, you know, had... Uh, got mm, tied in with um, Dr. Afra, so there was a lot of uh, research I had to do there to to kind of uh, to fill in those uh, those entries for those characters and some of the others as well. Um, within the movie itself. Um, you know, overall, I love the movie. It's a lot of fun, and I think of any Star Wars movie, Solo exists just to be fun. Um, it doesn't really have to do much else other than be fun. Um, so, you know, overall, I thought it was great. Um, the, you know, if I were making the movie over again, though, um, I'm not sure Lando's character was handled well. Um, I think uh, Donald Glover was great as Lando. He was a great choice. I'm happy that he's Lando. Um, but I just don't, you know, we didn't really see Lando in action. We see him, you know, we see him doing the card game, but otherwise he's just kind of sitting on the ship while everybody else does their stuff. I would have liked to have seen Lando taking a more active role. Um, uh, the droid, uh, L3, um, I just, I don't know what to make of L3. Um, she's, uh, you know, uh, obviously they're implying that Lando and her have a, a relationship and that kind of romantic relationship off screen. Um, and that I don't know, it just kind of weirds me out. Um, <laughs> uh, it's not something it's not some it's 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 something that's new to the Star Wars universe. I'll just say there right. isn't really a, a precedent for, for that. It me out a little. Um, and you know the the designs on uh, Kessel. Um, uh, they, I love the pikes. The pikes are one of my favorite um, alien uh, species in Star Wars. You know, originally from the Clone Wars. I would have liked to have seen um, something from the pikes that was a little more familiar, that matched up with what we see in the Clone Wars, um, with their culture and their costumes and stuff. The the anatomy um, of the the main pike character and really all those those background guys on that planet is very different from um, things we see in the Clone Wars. You know, their heads are shaped differently. Right. Um, they've got a you know they don't have the same number of fingers on their hand um so yeah i, I would have liked to have seen a little more consistency because i just i love their designs in the clone wars um but yeah i want to i want to see more of these characters i want to see you know a solo too i want to see what happens with kira and what solo's next adventure is and how they meet up again um it boggles my mind that um this movie was conceived as a one-off i mean how can you go through the trouble of casting han solo and lando calrissian Rissian, um, and then, you know, get a new Chewbacca, you know, and all these other characters. How can you, Seth, go through all that trouble and not have a trilogy planned out? That just doesn't make any, it doesn't make sense to me. If, um, not, if not a trilogy, at least a I don't, sequel. I don't, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, they should have done a trilogy. They should have done a trilogy. You, you don't cast um, Alden Ehrenreich and, you know, Donald Glover and uh, Emil, uh, Amelia, um, what's her name? 
um, you you don't you don't cast them for a one-off. It's just I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, I always wondered because some of the other storylines that they set up towards the end of the movie, I, it's almost like they were they were wanting to make another movie and then maybe change direction after they got the reaction because they set up mm. all the criminal syndicate um, through the whole thing towards right. the end. They did. I think I I get the impression that if it had been a hit like they thought it was, then they would have just gone to the sequel and they would have written the story for the next movie. Um, I I think they would have done that if it was a hit. And I think that they set it up so that they could. Um, But what what I have a problem with in, in the planning was that they didn't have it already written before the movie went to theaters. Um, it should have it should have just already been written and worked out. You know, that said, I think the new trilogy should have been written written from start to finish before it went to the, you know theaters individually as well. Um, mm. That's actually I would just like to say, I, I, yeah, I I think there should be more more planning ahead than is done. Um, hopefully, with Kevin Feige's in, involvement in in a future movie or two or seven um we'll see more planning like that because he's he's a master plan guy okay. yeah it'll be interesting to see what he does especially if they keep um beverly filoni working in creative more than just mandalorian yeah right you you let those guys do whatever they want and and these new directors from season one you can let them do whatever they want because they they've earned their chops they did good that that whole team favreau's whole team they should let them do whatever they want yeah Mm -hmm. well we we, we've said here kathleen kennedy should still be you know head of lucasfilm be the representative on the disney board um and just handle the finances and let Floney and Favreau handle everything creative in that Kevin Feige type role. Since in Star Wars, it takes, right. it takes not two a bad to idea. do. Yeah. So uh, from uh, we have had one of your co-authors on the Absolute Everything You Need to Know books. Uh, we had Cole Horton on recently. Um, what was it like to work on, on that particular book and how did you and Cole uh, break up what you were going to do and, and who, who was going to do what? Well, that's a funny story. Um, Cole is a really good egg. He's he's hilarious. Um, I I love partnering with him on anything, and I love any chance to hang out with him at um, conventions. And we've got on several book tours together. And he's just he's just a lot of fun. He's hilarious, and um, you know he he works at Electronic Arts, so he's uh, quite got an interesting day job and. Yep. You know, a night job in and, spare time. And so a, interesting all around. And, uh, when we talked to him, he said he was about to move to my neck of the woods. Uh, I live in Kissimmee, Florida. He's getting ready to move down here. Oh, is he? I didn't yeah. know he was moving. I hadn't talked to him about that. I'll, I'll <laughs> have to ask him. Um, well, that's interesting. Well, I know. Um, well, I, I don't know why he's moving, but um, I know Electronic Arts has a um, office uh, yep. in Florida as well. I don't know yep. if that's why he's moving. I, I think so. I think he was um, doing. He was going to be coming out of uh, Tiburon Studios. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got. Uh, I I used to live in uh, in uh, Deleon Springs, actually. Okay. Um, just north of Deleon, which is just north yep. of Orlando, and yep. I've I've got family um, in that area too. Um, though I've still I have when I lived there, I used to go to Disney World, but I haven't been in um at least 25 years so oh, wow. i still haven't been to galaxy's edge uh, but i'd love to yeah. move to florida myself so uh, it's weather and it's just like uh just like vietnam so i'd love <laughs> to get back to that kind of weather but anyway we're working with cole um the funny thing is um i went to um i think it was celebration anaheim uh and uh was it Celebration Anaheim or San Diego Comic Con or one of them? Um, and I I had a panel um, for absolutely everything you need to know Star Wars. Um, and so I got up there um, and it was you know 
It was a couple of my co-authors, or, uh, or maybe it was me and Michael Kogi. And there were some other people, and uh, I think Leland Chi from uh, Lucasfilm, and uh, uh, Rachel Kemp from DK, who was the head of marketing at the time. And I was sitting next to Rachel, you know, as we sat down for the panel, and I looked over and I saw Cole Horton sitting on the panel, and I said, Rachel, what? You know, why is Cole here? You know, what? why is Cole on this panel for this book? And she told me, "Don't he's your co-author, don't you know? And I had no idea that I had co-written this book with Cole. Um, because, uh, you know, the funny thing is that um, a lot of times, you know, DK would just parcel up you know, pieces of the book and just give it to us and not even tell us who the other people are that are working on it. Um, and for something like that format, you know, it's just a trivia book. Um, we really don't have to connect each other's sections um, to ours. You know, they're all sort of each each spread, each two page spread uh, is works kind of separately. So, yeah, I had no idea. So, um, yeah, it came as a complete surprise. Um, <laughs> other books, there might be a little bit more communication, um, but overall, for for reference books, it's it's not necessarily necessary. Okay. Now, I'm assuming it's the same way with uh, something like the the Visual Encyclopedia, where there was you, Cole, Trisha Barr, and. There are a couple others on it. Right, yeah. Uh, by that time, I learned my lesson to go ahead and uh, ask and prod the editors at DK to find out whom I am. Um, so I knew I was working with them. Um, and yeah, we'll kind of, um, we might discuss with each other a little bit about what, which sections we want, uh, to work on, which, you know, tie into our own personal interests and strengths, uh, and experience, uh, writing that material before. So we'll kind of negotiate with each other a little bit. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's it's another case where we're writing, you know, on our own, you know, at our homes or, the, you know, cafes or wherever we like to work. And uh, but, um, you know, it, the the rapport we have with each other comes more uh, into play on our book tours and uh, on our uh, convention presentations and things where just, uh, you know, we, we work to get, you know, Trisha and Cole and I and uh, Michael Kogi, you know, we all work together very well. We all get along very well and enjoy, you know, hanging out with each other. So it makes for a fun time, you know, when we're doing a, a, a book signing or a panel or something. Now, when it, when it comes to stuff like uh, the Visual Encyclopedia or um, the absolutely everything you need to know, where what are the topics that you feel the most comfortable working on? Right. Um, the funny thing about writing, um, I learned all the way back in college um, that you know college professors they often don't know uh what they're they they don't know the material that they're teaching they'll especially you know when you're in a big university and you're being taught by a teacher's assistant um they don't necessarily know the material they'll know the they'll they'll learn enough to teach that you know the class the following day or maybe two class class people had but especially you know because these these professors they teach new classes all the time uh, so they're not hired because they already know the material they learn it as they go and then they you know teach it to you um, when I lived overseas I knew a lot of English teachers and they a lot of them were the same way because a lot of them are first-time teachers they'll learn enough to teach them, just keep learning it day by day and then they teach it um, so I learned um, you can write a book much the same way um, because uh, you know something like Star Wars or something like Marvel, you know, there's in Marvel, you've got 75 or more years of comics. You know, nobody can know everything. Star Wars, it's it's getting to be a franchise where you have to pick and choose um, what you're going to consume uh, because the comics are, you know, the, between the comics and the novels and the cartoons and the themes and, you know, the action figures, it starts to come out too fast. Um, so you, you got to pick and choose. 
Um, but anyway, so I've learned to be comfortable. To, it's a roundabout way of saying I've learned to be comfortable with um, material that I may not know so well. I've I've learned that you can research while you're writing and get yourself up to speed. And by the time you're done, you've you've written a professional book, you know, that people are going to love. And you're also an expert in that subject. But you may not have been an expert when you started. Um, you know, it's just being a writer is like writing college term papers the rest of your life. That's that's the you know, that's the way you write in college. You you study the subject and you write the paper on it. And then when you're done writing the paper, hopefully you know something about the subject because you've written it. Um, but so that's the way writing uh, books also works. Um, so I'm comfortable whether I know the material really well or not. Um, but I, I like writing about the stuff that I love to consume. Um, so, yeah, it comes back to, you know, I love the original trilogy. Um, the original trilogy, I love Jabba the Hutt and I love Ewoks. You know, I love Return of the Jedi. So anytime I can write about that, I'm happy. Um, Rogue One and Solo, I love. You know, Rebels, I love. Um, I grew up with the Ewok adventures and um, the droids and Ewoks cartoons in the 80s. So anytime I can work references into that, uh, into what I'm writing, and I often do. I love to do that. Um, you know, I'll pick and choose the things that I like out of the EU and uh, pepper that in. I love, I love making connections to things from around the Star Wars universe. You know, I love hiding Easter eggs. I love mm -hmm. um, naming things after people, um, after my co-authors or um, you know, podcasters or artists or people that have contributed to. Um, Star Wars, but aren't you know from the periphery? Um, and, and so I, you know, I, I love to just love to hide all that in there and just have fun with it. Hey guys, we have our chance now. <laughs> we, we, can make the, we can make the Smugglers Three part well, of the I, Star Wars universe. There we go. Well, you'll, you'll have to wait till I have my next big reference book <laughs> and have an opportunity. <laughs> so now you've written travel logs, you've written Star Wars books, and Marvel books, and how did you actually get into writing? I mean, obviously you went to college for it, but what, how did that journey go? Right. Um, well, in college, um, my major was environmental biology. Um, I actually went on to work um, with a lot of exotic animals, with wolves and raptors and uh, chimpanzees. Uh, worked with um, about 80 chimpanzees and a bunch of bonobos, pygmy chimps, and an orangutan, and did all kinds of crazy stuff, but just for a couple of years. Um, but when I was in college, um, it was a uh, liberal arts uh, uh, Bachelor of Arts that I got. So naturally, I had to take a lot of humanities and writing classes. Funny thing was that um, in those classes, literature and creative writing, I did better than the English majors. Um, I remember being the only one on the term paper to get an A in the class. And not just that, I was the only one that didn't fail the term paper. Everybody else in the class had to rewrite their, but I got an A. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I knew then that there was something to this writing thing that, um, that I, I was good at, good at it and I enjoyed it. And and I had similar experiences in other classes where I had to write papers. Um, I would often get singled out by the professor as the example of, you know, how to write whatever he wanted done. Um, so, you know, that was kind of a funny little foreshadowing of what would come. But so uh, I went from my biology work um, to web design. And I did websites primarily because I knew I could do that from anywhere in the world. And I knew I could work freelance on my own. So once I got 
uh, enough clients. Um, I just I went overseas uh, traveling and uh, did my work from over there uh, and got to Vietnam and loved it, decided to stay. And I worked on um, a bunch of, uh, of uh, tourism sites as a hobby for the area where I was living. And at the time, there really were no other um, other foreigners or Americans living there, at least not that were competent to do a website and to write about it. Um, so I got a name for myself writing about tourism in the area. I caught the attention of travel publishers um, who then asked me to update their guidebooks for Vietnam and for the, the whole region. Um, and I ended up working on um, about 45 days uh, for that area. Um, and I freelanced for um, CNN and National Geographic and BBC and a lot of magazines and stuff. So once I got um, all that uh, under my belt, um, I after a while I decided I wanted to come back to the U.S. Uh, so then um, one of the travel publishers I'd been working with actually was DK, and I'd always gotten it in my head, you know, if if I got enough of their books under my belt, maybe one day I could ask them, you know, hey, can I write for you? Well, it just so happened that when I was ready to do that, um, Lucasfilm had had sold uh, Star Wars, or George Lucas had sold Star Wars to Disney, um, and they announced they were going to make new movies, and with new movies come new books, and so they happened to need an author. So um, I got my start uh, writing a little kid's book called uh, What Makes a Monster, and Lucasfilm and DK liked that so much, they just kept asking me to write more. Hmm, not bad. Mm-hmm. Now, with some of the books, do you get a chance to go to the archives or go to, go to the ranch and and take a look at some of the stuff you're writing about i do not um and that is something i i would really like to do um i really kind of wanted to do that uh for my stormtroopers book um but unfortunately that just wasn't uh in the cards um whether uh, uh you know by budget or um you know things were kind of locked down because of uh filming of um i have been to uh lucasfilm uh once on my own just as a tourist like anybody else you know and you can walk around in in the lobby and mm. and look but don't touch um and you can get a photo with um yoda <laughs> which that's actually i've got a photo on starwars.com as a tourist i think um and i don't know if there still is but there was a starbucks uh, down below that you um it's open to the public um because it's got a door to the outside uh so anybody can go sit in there um it's in, inside the lucasfilm building technically um and it's a pretty little campus um you know small but it's pretty there so you can walk around but uh, i did go again on an official basis and i got the the full tour of uh, the facilities though unfortunately the gift shop had um closed for the day it, it closes at 3 uh, p.m so i still have yet to buy myself a lucasfilm mug and t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> that must have killed you when it was closed. that would drive me nuts it did because to be honest i was just as excited about going to the gift shop and buying some stuff <laughs> as i was in getting the tour <laughs> Oh, I'm sure <laughs> I would be too. I'd be the same way. Now we we've got another listener who's asked a question. Uh, gentleman's name is John Michael. His question is: favorite droid or astromech? If you want to narrow it down to just an astromech. Sure. Um. Hmm. It's hard to pick one. Um. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, I love them all for reasons. Some of my favorites. You know, everybody you gotta love R two D two. Um, sure, sure. Uh, but uh, I love. Um, oh, and I'm not going to get my names right. Uh, the um, is it? Uh, oh, which one is he? It's the one with the the, the broken motivator in a new hope. Um, R five D four. The one that's orange and white with R five D four. Yeah. Um, just because it's it's 
so retro, so classic, you know, love the little mm. Kenner action figure for that guy. Just so original. Um, love that guy. Uh, I love the uh, the cone-headed ones, too. Um, <laughs> perhaps perhaps because they're they were so rare, you know, rarely seen, yeah. they were always a back, you know, background, quick, quick shot yeah. um, of a droid. Uh, and there was no action figure. So they were just interesting because, you know, they were so, so unique. Um, yeah, the R, the R4 series. I love that. Uh, yeah, 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 the R4. That, and, and they didn't, they um, didn't start coming out with action figures for those until, uh, I think the first one I remember seeing was for Star Tours when, when they did the, the one for uh, the Star, uh, Star Tours figure for um, based on the ride when Disney was releasing those. Oh, yeah. Well, the the only uh, figure that I have of those actually is a um, Build-A-Figure. Um, I think I went to um, to Disney Springs, those, those shops that yep. are outside of the park, um, and got it there uh, on one of my book tours because um, I, I did a book signing in Disney Springs. Okay. Um, but yeah, I love. Uh, I also I also love the um, the R one. Those great big e- enormous droids that uh, we have in um, Mandalorian now. We actually see them move. You know that they can hover. Um, yeah. And I yeah. thought that was cool because in the Mandalorian, they the um, the EU backstory on those droids that those droids um, were for navigation and like the the big. I think the big freighters and the big capital ships. Um, I I think the EU said that they even um, hover like that. So yeah, they went they went straight to the EU source books um, to bring them into the Mandalorian. So those are cool. I do not own the action figure of that one. There actually is one of the yep. the R one in um, yep. from uh, A New Hope at um, the Jawa Sandcrawler. I think it I, I think, think it, it has a, like a little mechanical arm that or something that's it uh, it's, actually i think it's kind of a stationary. it's pretty much a stationary figure i have the figure i don't remember the arm moving on it though do you yeah yeah i, I want to say it came out as part of the uh, power of the force series or it came out shortly after yeah i think so i think so i kind of i think it's on the green cards uh, yeah and i i ha- i did see it on cards a number of years ago i think it's celebration or something and I kind of kicked myself that that I didn't buy it because I think they're hard harder to get now. I think they're much more expensive. Yeah. Uh, because it was unproduced once. I, it's something I'd, lo- I'd love to see one of those on a vintage card for vintage collection. I hope Hasbro um, would consider something mm-hmm. like that. It might be a little difficult to get that on a card. I know um, mm-hmm. those bigger, heavier figures are, are hard to get on a card, and they're also yeah. expensive to make with the, they've got more plastic in them. Um, and probably as a vintage collection figure, they'd fancy it up a little more, too. Probably. See, I, w- I would also love to see it in black series line but oh yeah but since oh, it, yeah, since, it does, since there is an r1 that sits outside of um the the droid depot at galaxy's edge i would love to see them bring back the action figure to be sold in the parks as a park exclusive That'd be cool yeah right that would be cool yeah, it would make a what's their jumbo size figure that the, they call them D D three or something. I don't know. They the Hasback figures and they charge thirty dollars instead of twenty. <laughs> yeah, um, but it would be good, good for the, for that series. Yeah, yeah, the black series would be great. They, they need to fan have some panels that open up with some controls inside. Yeah, and maybe some hoses you can pull out or something. But yeah, oh, and a chopper. I can't leave chopper out. He's he's an astro mac as well oh yeah true yeah it's very cool love that by the way that we see another um we see another uh one in his uh c1 class um in that last episode of yeah. uh, the clone wars yeah um, a very very similar to chopper that was pretty cool yeah mm-hmm. that, that was very fun sad to though the way he ends up <laughs> true <laughs> true so ken Derek, any other questions no, we covered a lot. Uh, yeah, 
lot. <laughs> so you've written a lot of books for um, or all of these reference books and stuff for Star Wars. Is there anything that you've not covered yet that you'd love to do something on? Um, you mean within Star Wars or, uh, yeah, or within, other subjects? Within Star Wars first, and then we'll go to the other ones. Sure. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's a bunch of things I'd love to do. Um, of course, love the Mandalorian, so I'd love to do anything uh, with mm. that. Um, being a travel guy, I'd love to do, um, you know, a book on locations, whether that's um, in-universe or an out-of-universe, you know, how to visit the, the film locations as a tourist. Um you know, I've been trying to talk Lucasfilm into that for years, but uh, they haven't bitten. So um, that's that's one I'd love to press them on. Um, uh, Terrell Whitlatch, uh, who was a Lucasfilm artist and designed um, uh, most of the creatures and aliens for um, the for the Phantom Menace, um, and uh, a lot of her designs have been used uh, by Dave Filoni in the Clone Wars. Um, he's still using her designs unused designs um, for creatures um, she's the life of Star Wars um, and she's got a very sciencey anatomy background um, and I've got a biology background too and so I'd love to you know love to continue that you know work with her on a new edition uh, for Star Wars on the, the creatures of the galaxy um, I think it's time for an update on that. That's another thing I've been uh, trying to get Lucasfilm to um, to uh, bite that line, but haven't had any luck yet. Um, so yeah, um, th- those are two of the, two of the big, or I guess three of the big ones that I'd love to do. Okay. Okay. So then, outside of Star Wars, what what are you still hoping to um, get going? Right. Um, well, gosh, there's a lot. You know, I I love Marvel. Um, I write Marvel books too, so anything I can do, continue to do there would be great. Especially um, the Marvel Studios Cinematic Universe. Um, oh, I'd love to do uh, more travel guides. Um, I uh, I have some uh, novels and memoirs of my own. I'd like to do. Uh, I'd love to get into uh, comics. Um, I actually got asked to do a uh, comic for uh, one of the big comic studios, but um, couldn't do it mm. because uh, at the time because I was working on some other major books and just couldn't fit it in my schedule. Um, but that's something I would uh, like to uh, revisit, uh, hopefully. Very um, cool. You know, I'd love to do yeah. uh, love to do some uh, more movie books. You know, reference books for other films um indiana jones you know is going to come out i'd i'd kill to do a book you know some kind of reference book for indiana jones ideally a visual guide um yeah something like that or uh you know you know and any number of things you know i love love the aliens movies love Mm. to do something there you know things science fiction and adventure i'm all up for the uh, Indiana Jones book sounds cool, especially incorporating all five films. That would be awesome. Right? Yeah they um, they need to do some new photography too because um, DK had done a visual guide um, for the previous movies. Uh, I think Skull. I can't, I can't remember. Um, but uh, the the problem is uh, the photos were all kind of low res. Um, they so they need to have uh, you know the way these books are. Um, you know it's not just DK. It's you know it's everybody you know that wants to do a Star Wars or Lucasfilm anything. Um, you're usually you're working with the photos that Lucasfilm has already taken in house. Um, mm. The publisher, you know, the, if the publisher wants uh, wants additional photos, that's something they have to negotiate. Um, uh, if it's newer stuff, they're going to negotiate with Disney. If it's 
trilogy and the original Indiana Jones movies, I think they're still negotiating with George Lucas because George Lucas owns all the props. He did not did not sell them to Disney. They're um, they're part of his uh, museum. Um, so yeah, if you want to take newer, more additional photos, you've got to negotiate that. Um, you know, and that 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 takes red tie red red tape and to cross and uh, money and time. So yeah, I'd like to see uh, a new a new book with uh, new photography that goes into the archives and um, photographs these things fresh. Yeah, and Indiana Jones seems like it would be a, um, almost a totally different style book than the way you have to do for like Star Wars. Marvel, being that those are 100% fictional universe in uh, in totally different places, whereas Indiana Jones is actual in real places with fictional characters. Right, yeah. It's funny um, you say that, because Marvel, I found, and I didn't really think about that it was going to be this way until I dove into it. Marvel is, it was funny to work on that after working on Star Wars, because Star Wars is 100% um, 100% 100% fictional, but uh, Marvel is, um, a, you know, a mix, you know, because you've got the Captain America stuff, you've got, the, you know, Rwanda, you've got the the, the Norse mythology, um, which it, itself is fictional, but it's based on real world mythology. So there was a mix, and that's that would be something good to talk about on uh, your Marvel podcast, uh, how I tackled all that. Um, because that 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 wasn't a big part of uh, writing the Marvel books for me was tackling tackling that that tension between the real and the fiction. Uh, uh, Mike, Mike I, we we can't hear you. Helps if I there unmute. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, no, it'd be it'd be fun to talk about the Marvel. Um, because of the fact that it takes place in actual places, uh, with fictional characters as well. Right. Yeah, it does. Um. And, you know, they they had some uh, like with Doctor Strange, um, they had, you know, a similar thing, I think, with uh, the George Lucas had whenever he filmed in Tunisia, where, you know, all the sets would get destroyed by storms. You know, Doctor Strange, there had been uh, a earthquake, um, I think, between initial filming and um Pickups, and I think the city Kathmandu had basically been destroyed. Oh, wow. um, tragically. So yeah, they they that was another interesting thing that you know when I'm writing about it in the book, you know, it's I'm actually naming actual real world temples where Doctor Strange is walking past, you know. So it's actually it became like writing a travel guide um, for you know a brief section of the book. So that was interesting. You don't have that in Star Wars. Mm. Uh, that's cool. Um, you guys have any other questions? I think we covered a lot of it. We did. Where where can people find you online? Sure. Um, I am on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and uh, recently I got on Instagram too. Uh, I had all three. Um, I do not have a YouTube, uh, but I am in the early stages of planning that out. Um, to YouTube whenever I can get that off the ground, so stay tuned for that. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and, and being part of the show this week. It, it was awesome. Yeah, this was fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, glad to come on. So, uh, when you've got future books for Star Wars, feel free to come back and we'll, we'll, we'll delve into them more. Yeah, I'd love to. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for joining us. Um, check out Adam on, I know, Facebook and Twitter, like you said, at author Adam Bray. That's B-R-A-Y. Um, so find him there and uh, and check him out. Go go get his books. You can find him on Amazon. You can find him on Audible and Kindle and anywhere you, you buy buy books at. Find his books. Help, help support him um, so we can get more books from him in the future. Mm. <laughs> Well, 
we thank Adam for, for joining us this week uh, on the show. Uh, again, check out his books. Uh, if you want a signed copy, hit him up on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, you could get a signed copy from him that way. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and he was he was telling us uh, after show, whichever, the, the more books you buy or the more of you guys buy specific books, the more chances those books get a new edition. Yeah. So you want a new visual encyclopedia covering Mandalorian and everything? Buy the current one. It will eventually lead to the new edition. So now, guys, y'all have heard the y'all have heard the rumors on or read the rumors on the internet. I'm sure this whole theory that um, the sequel trilogy may not be canon much longer. I did not hear that. No. No, I've seen the rumors running around. I don't know how much I put in this. I don't put much in of anything years, in years, Star Wars, they've never done something like this with um, something that was actually in the canon, um, actually. Like the EU, yeah, when they pulled it out officially out of canon, it was never there to start with. Closest thing that... would be dumb. That's a dumb rumor. The, the closest... Spring is dumb. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, no, the closest they've done to, to doing that was the original um, Clone Wars stuff. That was being put out between uh, right before Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Because there were some moments in that that were referenced in the movie, like how Grievous got his cough. You know, but because it was Anakin crushing that area of of his um, droid esque body. Yeah. Well, I've always looked at stuff like that as the same thing um, that you get with Clone Wars and Rebels and other places. That anything that was not canon stays non canon unless it's actually used on screen. Right. So that right. part of the um, original Clone Wars series would have been natural canon. That he got the cough because of this because it's referenced directly by something that is in canon. Right. So it was brought in things like. Quinlan mm. Voss. Quinlan Voss was brought into canon because he was used in uh, Clone Wars. Right. And and then supposedly was in or was on Tatooine on during Phantom Minutes in that scene. Yeah. Which, which so my, my argument there is, if that's the case, then how come Qui-Gon did not recognize him or sense him when he walked by? And at least yeah. turn to look. No, I think I think this rumor is um, I, I do believe Lucasfilm is going to move away from this time frame for a while. Right. They should. Like first they're moving to the high republic yeah when disney first acquired star wars they moved away from the prequels and they, the prequels really did not get any reference at all very very little until you get towards the end of rise of, or towards the ready to release rise of skywalker or like with solo solo referenced stuff from the e from um the prequels rise of skywalker references some things from the but until then really you didn't get any prequel talk at all because i think they when disney bought it they were afraid of backlash because of the what people were saying that, oh, the prequels were terrible and all this stuff, not realizing that that's not, it's just like we've said before, the people that hate on Star Wars is a very, very vocal, very small minority. Right. But but the problem is they're extremely vocal. And as we've said before, every time I jump up on my soapbox, if you like it, tell people <laughs> about it. Get out there and right. the way to let everybody know that not everybody hates something is to get out there and tell them you like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the problem that Disney is doing the same thing now, they're going to pull away from from the um, sequel trilogy era because of some of the backlash they've gotten to allow that to actually age. I think as it ages, people that um, have seen it will either do as the prequels did because there was still people who bashed on the prequels, but in general, it's been accepted right. as part of Star Wars. I think the sequel trilogy will get to that point also. But um, And as Derek was saying, we're going to move on to the High Republic era and uh, it's a totally new place and totally new chance to do things and see where it goes with there. And we may get some more stuff still in the original trilogy era because Disney still loves that. Obviously the they've done well there. Everything that they've done in that era within a couple of years before and after the original trilogy like The Mandalorian, like Rogue One has done awesome. So right. the, in their head, the, the people who are looking at the money say, oh the original trilogy era is where we make our money. And then they're going to experiment with the High Republic and see if they can do something way outside of where Star Wars is. Right. Because you're talking a couple hundred years before the prequels even, right? So you got a point where there's mm -hmm. nobody there that is directly connected to where we're at now, unless you happen to see Yoda or someone mentions Yoda or a couple of the other there's yeah, uh, I... aliens that might be like uh, Tarful might be a very 
very young there because Wookiees go two to three hundred years. I do believe there is going to be a young Yoda. Yeah, well, younger. Yeah, <laughs> two, well, yeah, yeah. For the prequels, Yoda's still what six, seven hundred years old almost. Yeah, something yeah. like that. So no, I think that's. I think people are seeing that the they're seeing and hearing rumors that di- that um, Lucasfilm is moving away from the sequel era and taking it as oh they're going to totally redesign this whole thing. Now I can't say that for sure, obviously. Well, they're but... they're trying to to play in um, the whole mirrors from from Rebels. Yeah, and that that's what because we that's what we're seeing as well as another set of those mirrors in Rise of Skywalker, and that this is how the the new that's going to put the sequel trilogy into a alternate timeline and then they're going to come out with an actual new trilogy to there's more proper i i don't see I, that I, at I all that is so is this this is nothing more than another um quote unquote fan theory hopeful fan theory this is a vocal it seems like it's a vocal minority fan it always is well the problem with that mirrors idea is the fact that deep star wars fans will have no problem figuring out what it is you're talking about the general population that buy the majority of the ticket sales for a movie are going to have they're going to be totally lost by that yep. how many people um mm-hmm. actually we heard it when solo came out how many people were totally confused that darth maul shows up at the end of solo right now star wars fan community loved it we all knew what was going on but there was a large portion of the viewing public that weren't sure how this was happening right so now you're asking them to do their homework and go back and look and figure out what happened not just accept what you're seeing on screen right and right. for the mark people and for the um, bean counters and the accountants and the, all of those people um, in the business side of making movies, they want something that the general population can go out. Oh, I want to see Star Wars. Hey, there's a new Star Wars film. I know what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's not the heavy duty fans like us. It, right. If they were and if they were to re, to to do this like they're saying, they're going to lose a large percentage of their audience. It would be the dumbest thing ever. Not just, not just from, like you said, Ken, the people that, that don't follow Star that are just casual Star Wars fans, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to buy into that. Mm-hmm. And those are people like us who are, you know, who 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 are enjoyed the, the sequels. Maybe they weren't the best ever, but, you know, whatever. But I don't want to see them do that. That would ruin Star Wars for me if they did I, that. I, I think so. Well, I, I, agree. The only way, I think the only way they could try to get away with something like that, and I don't want them to ever do it but it would be wait 10 or 15 years or more and do a full mm. re- with a brand new universe a right brand new, which right. i can you, you would have to do far into the future when you all of the like, do everything are pretty much gone right right exactly and it, and it would have to be one of those where they would set star wars down and let it and do nothing at all for 15 to 20 years see and let it try to let it die which see, it wouldn't it would do but <laughs> see and that that's all a bad idea because uh of, well, DC Expanded Universe. Yes, I said it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 no, 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 I just want to see where you're going with it. The fact that they, they've they tried, they're trying to change the rules with their universe, movie to well, movie. Back it, in. Oh, no, no, you're talking about the movies. It's okay. Well, movies and, and, yeah, and then yeah. the TV shows. and Yeah, well, actually, the, the, the reboot is already coming for the DC movie universe because the Flash movie, they're still going with Flashpoint. That's going to be their reason. so stupid. Now, well, it, oh, but for comic book fans, it makes total sense that they would have a new universe afterwards. Right, but it, yeah. It's Warner Brothers. It's kind of have to. It's yeah. their table saying, we got to do something. Yeah. So, unless... But they can do that with DC. They cannot do that with Star Wars. No. Exactly. DC, that's like, D, comic books, even casual fans know that there's a multiverse, or what's something called a multiverse. Even casual fans have heard of multiple worlds. Right. In comic Star Wars has never had a multiverse ever. No, and, I mean, and if world within worlds, and that's still arguable what that actually is. And if they ever decided to do it, it would have to it would have to start from the comics level first, and then try and figure out how to roll it over into the into the visual media. And it really doesn't even work for um, Star Wars. Is not now if it was a science fiction movie, you could do it. Right, Star Wars is not science fiction. No, it is fantasy in a futuristic setting. Correct. Right. If it were Star Trek, you could yeah. do it. Star Trek, you do it all day. They they have done it. Where do you think the J.J. Abrams universe came, comes from? The J.J. Abrams exactly. the original universe. It's just an mm-hmm. alternate timeline. Yeah. Right. Now, well, Star Wars 
Wars, it is a sword and sorcery fantasy movie. It just happens to be in the few in what we would see as future tech. Right. Right. Now I I want to end us with this. As we're recording, we are recording on the first of July, um, the halfway point of the year. And uh, I don't know. At this point, this is where I start getting a little scared for 2020. It's the next five months, spelled Jason. Yeah, I know. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, and and from movies and from yeah, Jason is not a usually a um, name that brings about good things in Star Wars. <laughs> Well, no, think think of what Jason we know from Star Wars. Yeah, but that's with a C. That didn't end well. That was a C. It started very well, but it didn't end well. Well, right. yeah, with a C, still. Um. Anyway, Hasbro announced a new Black Series figure that's going to be part of the Gaming Greats line or theme of, of figures. It's Jango Fett, and it's inspired from his appearance in Star Wars Bounty Hunter, a game that launched on PlayStation 2 and the GameCube back oh. in 2002. Deep yeah. Is it going to be pixelated? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but this this whole gaming greats theming that GameStop's doing, because these are coming from GameStop, uh, are they're pretty cool. I haven't seen any of them. Uh-uh. Um, they have done um, the Purge Troopers from Fallen Order. Um, I think there was a, a Raven that was done. Um <sighs> Couple of the stormtroopers, a couple stormtroopers from Force Unleashed and Force Unleashed Two. Um, if you type into go to GameStop and look up uh, Black Series Gaming Greats, they'll pop up. Um, but this one, I mean, I've got the pictures up on Wookie Radio on the website at WookieRadio.net. Um, it's pretty decent. Uh, it looks very similar to the Django Fett figure they released back in 2016. Uh, but this version has um, a more realistic head sculpt. Uh, also included is two blaster accessories. So Okay. Um, well, the other one I heard about, I've, th- I've not found the story yet, but um, I guess Hasbro did announce, because um, if you notice, the last couple of years, the offerings in the three and three quarters inch line have not been all that great. They've been, it seems like they've been focusing on the six inch black series for everything but i guess they've uh, they've announced they are going to re-up on the three and three quarter because everybody's been screaming about it and actually start putting out figures again there there and- are some uh because they talked about it on fan first monday uh and that story is also up on uh wikiradio.net okay um okay so there is a forced unleashed stormtrooper commander there is a forced unleashed shadow stormtrooper um Battlefront 2 Heavy Battle Droid. Um, I thought there was something else. Isn't there a Darth Revan too? Yeah. Well, he's been out for a while. I don't think it was part of this series, though. No, they mm-hmm. they, re- like a they did a I believe they did, they did a, a repack. Uh, that was part of the regular uh, fall release. Yeah. Um, because it was the same thing with the uh, second sister. Uh, I'm just looking quickly on their site. Um, Django Fett, which was just announced today. Um, the uh, the Fallen Order Purge Trooper, Purge Stormtrooper, which I think is also, it's from the, okay, maybe it's not a gaming grate. It's part of the actual line. But the, the ones that are gaming gaming grates, there's a decal on the box that says gaming grate. Mm. Or there, there's notification on the box that it's a gaming grate. And I, and I think it's cool that they're doing that. And you can only get get them at GameStop, which is cool. So, um, so yeah, that's all we got. Any final thoughts? Uh, nope, nothing. Yeah, it was great having Adam on the show with us. It was, it was. Uh, also, other other gaming greats was Jedi Knight Rave, uh, Revan. Right. So, so yeah, Adam was cool. It was great. Uh, can't wait to, to talk Marvel with him over on uh, My Marvel Geeks as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and uh, Derek and I talked about it briefly. And Ken, if you haven't listened to last week's Weeby Geeks, you should because we talk about two Hasbro's Fan First Friday for GI Joe. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Joe stuff, the new Joe stuff, which is out now. Yeah. It's it looks amazing. Like cool they're finally starting. Well, they've been doing it for the last couple of years. It looks like they're doing more of a, just an updated version of the Generation, or it's not Generation One Joes, but the Real American Hero line, which was the original cartoon 
Guns from the eighties. Well, what what's been right. released is the new is the GI Joe six inch series. Okay, and that looks yeah. amazing. It looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, just like I, I saw today, uh, my family we went to Target today, and I got to see all four of the Ghostbusters with the proton packs. Oh, I saw those today. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, I wish I had the money. Right now, the first one I want to get. All right. The, the first one I want to get is uh is Winston because that's Ernie Hudson, and he was a high school classmate of my mom's. He and my mom were in the same high school <laughs> class, so he he's the first one I want to get. And if I can only get one, it, it's his figure I want to get first. So, so yeah, that's that's cool. Um, on that note, I think that's gonna wrap it up for us next week. I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it now. We have Steve Kozak on the show, and and Steve Kozak is doing a documentary about the making of the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh yeah, I heard about that. So we're gonna have him on and the show. And now he just canceled. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any questions, comments for him? Let us know Facebook. Twitter or email us at Wookie at Wookie Radio. Uh, so from the three of us to all of you, um, there's only one thing left to be said. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull out. No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. Let's get out of here. Ready for light speed?